Welcome back to the Sword and the Spirit. This is where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teaching interviews and conversations. My goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and actions on the part of the listener. My prayer is that he who has an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Welcome back. Praise God. Today we will not have any interviews, but we have more interviews lined up and more things coming. And the purpose of said interviews is to just help us look at different aspects of outreach that we need to do in the church. Our interview with Valerie Lyason emphasized the need to, with compassion, reach out to the LGBTQ plus community. And they remembering that they are souls for whom Christ died. And yes, they can be saved and God can do a work in them as well. Save, heal, and deliver. But we have to be patient and really get the mind of God and allow God to lead us. And I think she's doing a fantastic job. That's how God is using her to uh, reach out in that aspect of ministry. And hopefully, God willing, we'll have her back uh, with some more updates, etc. The other one I did was with uh, Brianna Lael. And a young lady who was serving God on fire. God was using her. And tremendously and powerfully. And yet, she ended up pregnant and having to go through that whole process. But you know what God does? He, the, the Christianity is about redemption. It's not about perfection in terms of, boy, I just never did anything wrong in my life. But God takes things that we get ourselves into, and all of us are guilty of this, not just uh, her, but everybody is guilty of something, and God redeems it. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, not condemnation. Our job here is not to condemn and to beat people down, our job here is to seek reconciliation. That's always the goal. The end game is for the believer is reconciliation. That's what we seek uh, with God, within ourselves, and with other people to uh, have them reconciled to God. And that's our goal here, not to beat people down. So this second season, I'm calling it the Mars Hill Project. It's about bringing Christ to the world and getting us back on mission. And as we're going to go through this and talk about certain things, you're going to see it's, it's just simply getting back to the basics. That's all it is. It's not a matter of any uh, waving any magic wand or, you know, simply uh, finding some sort of new marketing technique, uh, you know, the church can use to, to win souls. God has not only told us what to preach, but he's also told us his methods of doing it. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save men. When Ezekiel saw the valley of dry bones, and God said, Son of man, can these bones live? And he said, Thou knowest. 
Notice what he did not do. God did not give him a marketing strategy on how to, and asking the dead bones their opinion on why they're dead and how to get back to where they need to be. The sinner's dead. He can't, he, he, he can't know what it is he needs to do. But God said, oh, here's what I want you to do, Ezekiel. You prophesy to the four winds. And, and that word prophecy just simply means to preach when he talks about prophesying. In that context, it's just a matter of preaching. It's not always predicting the future. But he said, prophesy. Preach to the four winds, the four corners of the earth. Preach the gospel. And then the bones started to come back to, to, to life. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save men. So what we're going to do is now we're going to take a look at the various aspects uh, today and we're going to talk about um, what's wrong. What's wrong? What are some of the mistakes that we're making? It's always good to do an assessment. You know, right now the military is trying to do assessments of what happened in Afghanistan and figure out, well, what, what went wrong? How, how did things go south? And that's what we're going to take a look at today. What, what are some of the things that have gone wrong in the church, in the body of Christ, that God would like us to rectify? One of the things is um, we're going to start off with here is mission creep mission creep that the enemy uh, always attempts to take us off mission i have a quote here and again this is the book i'm going through here at the moment i've been reading taking small bites out of it it's called crisis christianity the alternative gospel of the american church by michael horton uh very well written but let me just read a paragraph out of out of uh, one of his chapters here which I think characterizes some of the things that I've been saying or trying to say, but he says it a lot better than I do. So I'll just read it to you. He said, in order to push us off point, all that Satan has to do is throw several spiritual fads or moral and political crusades and other relevant operations into our field of vision. Focusing the conversation on us, not on Christ. That's definitely a mission creep right there. Focusing on us, our desires, our needs, our feelings, our experience, our activity, our aspirations. And these things energize us. At last, now we're talking about something practical and relevant. Wherever Christ is, is truly and clearly being proclaimed, Satan is more actively present in opposition. The war between the nations and enmity within families and neighborhoods is but the wake of the serpent's tail as he seeks to devour the church. Yet even in this pursuit, he is more subtle, we imagine. He lulls us to sleep as we trim our message to the banality of popular culture and invoke Christ's name for anything and everything but salvation from the coming judgment. Wow. Uh, I see why I like this guy. He's a good writer and he makes some very good points. 
And so this is what the enemy does. Take us off message and try to redirect us. The scripture that I'm, we're also going to be using is, you know, we know when Paul went to Rome and he, on his way there, he goes to the Areopagus or Mars Hill and he talks to the, the government and the philosophers and the religious people. He has them all there and he lays out <clears throat> the gospel. And then he ends with the resurrection and that's what threw him off. They were good. They were up there. They were, they, were, they were on the ride with him for a while until he finally gets to the resurrection because that's just the most ridiculous thing that these people had ever heard. What do you mean he died and he dead man gets up? They, you know, nowhere in the world do you see dead people getting up. What is this? Okay, so uh, that was, that was, the response. and some people accepted it and some people didn't. But here's what Paul didn't do. He didn't change the message. It, it, he said what he said and he stood by his statements. And he doubled down. That's a big word you hear on, on the news now. He doubled down on his message. And so we have to double down on the gospel and not change the message because people don't like it. Some people will accept it and some people just won't. It won't make a bit of difference uh, whether people want to accept it or not. And so this is very important to look at. And we need to take a good hard look at how we do church, particularly here in the West. I, I think, I'm not saying other parts of the body of Christ don't have the issues, but I'm pretty sure that it's slightly different from what, we, what we're dealing with. Um, and there may be some similarities too, depending on what, what nation we're talking about. But let's just talk about here in the Western church, here in the West, um, how that we've pretty much... Um, been derailed the enemy has successfully derailed us and taken us away from the message of the gospel and it's it's not it's in evangelical churches it's in it's in african-american churches it's in in uh, caucasian churches it's 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 you know the devil's an equal opportunity uh diverter if you want to call it that so he finds ways to divert all of us away from what we should be doing and one of the great things that people happen to say is, it's not working. I love that one. It's not working. We've been praying forever. I don't see any results. We've been in street meetings forever. I don't see any results. We've been feeding people forever. Where's the results? Okay, what do I mean by mission creep? Well, I heard a preacher say, I believe he was in Youth with a Mission with YWAM, that God is only doing two things in the earth, and only two. And Romans 8, I believe it is, says that whom God foreknew, he also did predestine to become conformed to the image of his son. So God is in Christ conforming us to the image of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the major goals that God has. That's one thing that he's doing, conforming us and making us more like Jesus.
out of that great chapter um, of Romans, the eighth chapter. And then the other thing is world evangelization. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I know some people say, well, you know, that's in reference to as you're going in, in your sphere of influence, which, yes, obviously you have, you can only start in your sphere of influence. Where else are you going to start? Um, but globally, God is thinking globally. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you that you should be a blessing. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so God has something for all the nations of the earth, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church is to uh, disperse and go global to take the message of the good news to all who will receive it. And to see people saved and to see within every culture, or every ethnicity, a vibrant New Testament style church. Not perfect, but vibrant. New Testament church in the context of their own language and their own cultural context. That's it. That's it. As soon as you do anything else with the church, it's mission creep. You're off on some, some other crazy tangent. What does conforming us to Christ look, look like? How does God conform us to Christ? Well, one thing, way that God conforms us to his son, and I did a podcast on this earlier, on the sanctifying work of Christ in, through the church, is through the church, is through community. In other words, I, I guess a better word I can use for church is community, the ecclesia. And I, we are to become a community of people. Just like Israel became a nation, we are to become a community of people who love on one another. Do we have issues? Yes. You know, you can't get two people in a room to agree on everything. Husbands and wives don't agree on everything. Now, they love each other, live in the same house, but sometimes they battle each other because they, don't, they can't see eye to eye on a particular issue. That's normal. You're just not going to get a lot of people together and have us agree on every single point. But what we have to learn in the church is to love one another, not divorce ourselves from one another, simply because we can't agree. Now, sometimes, like Paul and Barnabas, you got to part company, which was not necessarily a bad thing because in, they had one missionary team. Now they had two. So, and then uh, Barnabas' work with John Mark proved to be useful because at the end of Paul's life, he sends for John Mark. So all disagreement and split up, it's not inherently bad because sometimes we just can't work together. And when it gets that to that point, then, yeah, maybe we do need to separate. But obviously, we don't want to be hateful of each other and violent towards one another, etc. We, we just simply say, you know, we can't agree, so we'll go our separate ways. There are ministries that I'm sure that I, I like and I agree with them and I think they're doing a wonderful, wonderful job, but because of certain nuances... Those ministries and myself would probably never work together, uh, per se. And, you know, or we may come together uh, because of a common interest and a common goal, and we can work together to do some things. So that's, that's kind of normal. I, I get that. Because you're dealing with human beings, and it's hard to get people together to, to work together. But there should be some nucleus or some type of uh, nucleus in terms of when I speak of community. Uh, a church or a fellowship that we're a part of 
and that we love and we care for one another deeply and and through the living together, working together, God is sanctifying us. The Bible says confessing our faults one to another and praying for one another that we can be healed. And so you need those depths of relationships with other saints whom you can share your deepest, darkest secrets, so to speak, and, and receive prayer. And yes, in some cases, accept the rebuke when it comes. You know, but I find that it's easier to get rebuked by loved ones who are close to me that we have a, a good relationship with than with somebody, you know, I don't really know. It's just more of an embarrassing thing or, you know, well, who the heck are you to judge me, you know? So you got to have some type of relationship in order to be able to do those things. And that's what the episode we had with the book. If you, if you want to get it, it's an excellent book by uh, Brianna Lael. And the book deals with uh, her process of making a comeback. And part of that comeback was that she had some deep relationships with some very spiritual people who helped her on her journey to, to making that comeback and, and being redeemed uh, from what she had just went through. And being young, black, and Christian, and pregnant. And how God redeemed her. That's what I mean by... Uh, God sanctifying work through the church. That's why when people talk about spirituality and they say, oh, you know, I'm spiritual, I don't go to church. Well, that's a hogwash, you know. Um, God created the church. So that means God intended for us to be in, com in community. And I know we, it's easy to be alone. I'm a natural loner. I can be by myself, not a problem. I can just leave everybody alone and just do me. But God has not say, seen fit to for that to be uh, for me. He seemed fit to put me in community. But how many people, um, I think in the interview with, with Valley Elias, and she talked about that, how many of us are in church, but we don't have community. We're just there. We go to church, we hear a sermon, we go home, but we don't become that community, that loving, uh, caring community for one another. You know, And I hear it all the time. People say, I just go to church. That's why they like the mega church. And I'm not against megachurches. The first uh, conversion of the, of the early church was a megachurch. And so I'm not opposed to that. But some people like the megachurch because they can stay low and under the radar. And they don't really have to deal with anyone. They can just come and hit the sermon and go home and that's it. And, you know, no real interaction with anybody in the church. No building of relationships. And I know it's hard. It's difficult. It's embarrassing sometimes. Sometimes people annoy us. I don't really want to be in the room of fellowship with this person. And everybody's in a different place. And you've got different personalities, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. And how do we bring all of that together? Well, that's the work of God. And that's how God sanctifies us. Through that process. Through the struggles. And through liking and not liking each other. And, and battling our way through those things. Those issues. And to find those deep, meaningful relationships. And even... As hard as we try, we're not going to find it with everybody, but we're going to find it with some. But God still calls us to be in community. So that brother over there that really annoys me, when they get sick, we're going to pray for that brother or that sister. So one, that's how one of the biggest ways, and I think that's one of the most neglected areas as to how God sanctifies us. Uh, Jesus in the 17th chapter of John, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. 
And you read Psalms 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, enlightening the eyes, etc. It goes down a whole list. It affects body, soul, spirit, mind, emotion, wills. It affects every part of us. And it says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. You find great wisdom in the, in the word of God. And that truth, Jesus said, if you continue in my, my word, you just will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, the truth only sets free when you continue in the teachings of Jesus. And then, lastly, but not least, is the inner working of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, he said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and write my laws upon your heart. And then I will put my spirit within you, and that Holy Spirit will cause you to walk in my ways and in my statutes. Sad to say, there's a level of crazy in the church that I see um, that really bothers me. And this is this this segment here really. Um, is very personal to me in the sense that growing up as a kid, I saw all the tomfoolery and nonsense in the church and it really made it harder for me to share my faith because I had this stuff thrown up in my face all the time and I had to constantly be an apologist for some of the, uh, the levels of crazy and lunacy that we saw in the, in the church. And, um, it just made it more difficult. Now, the gospel is, is inherently offensive. I'm sorry, there's no way I can preach the gospel and not offend people. The Bible says that the gospel is offensive to the, to the non-religious people of the world. In this context, which I refer to them as Gentiles, but that's the non-religious people of the world or those who don't know of the one true God, etc. It's offensive to them because we're telling them that Christ is the only way to God and that offends people. And I, I, can, I get that. So that's inherently offensive. To the Jews or to the religious people, Christ becomes a stumbling block because they, they thought their salvation was linked to Abraham. I've been in church my whole life. I've been, you know, Baptist born, Baptist bred. I'll be a Baptist when I'm dead. And they think that their denomination or their whatever is, is the be-all, end-all of everything. And then when you come to them and say, you know, there's no work that you're doing that's going to save you. Only Christ can save you. It becomes a stumbling block to them. And they think that being saved is being in the denomination. I, I knew that. And I know that for a fact because when I had joined a, a Pentecostal church, they didn't even want you to fellowship with other churches. And you kind of got, they didn't say it, but the unwritten rule was nobody was saved but us. But let me say this, and this is probably where I lose a lot of my, of my listeners, but you know what? It's time, we've got to tell the truth, and no matter what the consequences. There are saved people in every church. There are saved people, yes, yes, even in the Catholic church, there are saved people in there. I'm not sure how they can stay in there very long, but they manage. 
There are saved people in the Episcopal Church. There are saved people in in the Anglican Church, which is the Episcopal Church in, in England. There are saved people in the Methodist Church. There are saved people in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. There are saved people in the Pentecostal churches. There are saved people in practically every church, Christian church. Um, you will find born-again, really saved people. And in every Christian church, you will find non-saved people, people who are just there. Jesus said the tares and the wheat are going to grow together. So I'm not into this whole denomination thing. So just put that on your head. I'm not saying one denomination is better than the other. We all have our, our flaws and we all have a little bit of error in the process. Although we, a lot of us don't just don't like to admit it. And I know I've had error in the process because I've changed my views over the years as I've studied more and more of the scripture and, and get into it. And when I find an area that uh, I, I didn't quite understand something and it, it becomes a clearer into focus, then I change, I adapt. I'm not gonna hang on to some belief or something that's nonsense. I refuse to do that, and, and so should you. But here are some of the ridiculous things, or some of the ways the enemy has taken us off course. And fasten your seatbelts because the turbulence is gonna get a little rough through here, and but put on your hearing ear. Say, God, help me to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Not what Don Reimer is saying. Hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And this way I can know, you'll know where I'm coming from. Healing services. Healing services. Or miracle services. The, the amount of snake-oiled uh, salesmen that are out here in the church with these fake healing services is beyond belief. And, and you, you know, you see them on television. And it's not just on TV. I don't even know where to begin here. Well, let's start, let's start here. First of all, there's the, there's the fake. I, I was listening to, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who is a quadriplegic, but a very devout Christian. She writes, she's a very prolific writer and, and says some really profound things about the Christian life. And I recommend listening to her, reading some of her stuff. Excellent. And she talked about going to a famous um, faith healer back in the 60s, 70s uh, to get healed. And she got wheeled in the wheelchair thinking, okay, God's going to heal me. But what they did, they took all the wheelchair people, the real, the real folk that was sick that, you know, and they wheeled them in a particular area. And then that's probably the area that they know, okay, if anybody sitting in that area, don't call them out. And then you had the other area where they were calling people out. Most of this stuff is just general, general stuff. I see I'm going to be here for a minute. Um, they're calling out people for backaches. Well, I can't really tell if the person's back is hurting or not. I only know what you tell me. I can't see. See, if it's a quadriplegic, you get them out of a wheelchair. We, we, we can all see, okay, they're, they're here in this wheelchair. And they're quadriplegic and, and God's getting them. We can see that. That's, that's, there's no mistaking that. But these guys... 
get people there with these vague healing. Some of it is psychosomatic. Some of it is just more of a placebo. And, and a lot of it is staged. Some of those are just actors. They caught one guy with a earpiece in his ear. I think Dateline did a series one time. And they caught one guy with an earpiece in his ear. And his his wife would tell him who in the audience to call out. Because when you come in, they would, they would, they would you know, hey, so what's your ailment? What's wrong with you? The ailments, they know God's not going to heal. They shove them off in one side. And then the other stuff that's vague and, well, they have cancer. Well, I can't see the cancer inside the body. So, you know, um, yeah, so it, a lot of it is just snake oil salesmanship is, is all that's going on there. And these people aren't, aren't necessarily getting healed, but. Most importantly, most importantly, there is no such thing. Read the gifts of the Spirit, and, and, and healings is in there. And what we do is we confuse gifts with ministry. There's a five-fold ministry, apostle, prophet, da-da-da-da-da. But a ministry, healing is a gift. And yes, I believe God heals today. But I don't, uh, I don't believe that the, the, these sideshow things that you got on television and these meeting in these auditoriums, which are just sideshows, a lot of that is just a lot of malarkey. And if people say, oh, I went there and I got healed. Yeah, if you, if, you go to, if you went to one of those meetings and you got healed, it's because of your faith in Christ. It had nothing to do with the guy at the front, I can, I can assure you. You could have done the same thing at home. But having said that... Um, Ministries that emphasize healing. Uh, there was a good, Robert Slearden did a series on the God's, called God's Generals, where they were dealing with some of the healing evangelists. And the stress and pressure, pressure of the thing, the ones who did eventually, um, eventually they all ended in, in, in a mess. And I don't have time to go into all of it, and I'm not going to go into all of it in terms of... Um, you know, what happened to them. Uh, you can look at the series and see it for yourself. But they all went cuckoo. You know, they ended in scandal. Some of them died as alcoholics. Some of them uh, fell into scandalous sin. And others just went cuckoo and started saying crazy stuff like, if you don't give me money, God's going to kill me and that, that kind of nuttiness. Um... But yes, any minute, healing is part of the work of Christ. And I'm going to talk a little bit later on about walking in the miraculous. Ministries are not to be centered around healing. Healing is a sidebar. Christ's main mission, even though he healed all these manner of sickness and disease and sent out his apostles to work miracles and etc. That was not his main mission. That was not his main mission. The purpose of miracles is to authenticate the ministry. That's all it is. But God wasn't trying to save people. When they, they let that guy down through the roof, 
who was paralyzed to be healed by Jesus, the first thing Jesus does is not heal him because that wasn't the point of why he came. He said, your sins be forgiven. That's what he came here to do. Let's start there. So Jesus said, let's start here. Now to authenticate his power, to authenticate the fact that he could forgive sins, he said, all right, let's do the healing thing. Rise, take up your bed and walk so that you know the Son of Man has power to forgive sins on earth. So the healing was there to authenticate. It wasn't necessarily the central thing in his ministry. Other than, like I said, to authenticate or doing the miraculous. And we'll see that a little bit later on when I get into some other things about um, Christ-centered preaching. And, and how God saves people and why we need to keep the emphasis on Christ. But I'm just touching on it now. One of the other things that we do that mission creep is the reinterpretation of biblical terms, such as every time you turn on the TV and they say harvest, reaping a harvest, sowing and reaping, it's always about money. Always, 100%. You, you know, reap your harvest. This is your harvest. This is your season for you to reap a harvest. And it's always with you always dealing with finances. Now, later on, I'm going to go through the, the parable of the sower and the souls. We're going to talk about some reaping and harvesting. But when Jesus talks about reaping and harvesting, he's always talking about souls. Finances and money never comes up. In fact, the, the, one of the few times when, when finances came up with the apostles, you know, he said, you know, they had, to, I think they had to pay taxes. And Jesus said, go out there and get a fish. And when you pull the fish up, there'll be a gold coin or whatever in there. And go and pay your taxes with that. So it wasn't that big a deal to him. Clearly, he wasn't that concerned. So, as believers, sowing and reaping and harvest has to do with sowing the word of God and then reaping a harvest of souls. That's what we want to do. There was a song, sowing in the morning, sowing in the evening, sowing in the dewy morn, waiting for the harvest. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. That's what we used to say. And we come rejoicing, bringing in the new souls. That's the joy of the church. Instead, now we just focusing on how I can get, I can get paid. I'm about to get broke off, man. She's about to give me some more money. And so that's what the, the emphasis becomes. The other thing that we do is not understanding the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Pentecostals tend to be guilty of this. And I can say this because I'm a Pentecostal. I guess if you want to categorize me. I attend a Pentecostal church. Put it to you that way. And we can have an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit. Frank Bartleman, and this is from the Christ, a sermon preached by Dave Wilkerson years ago at Agape Force Conference in Texas. He preached a message called Christless Pentecost. I think you can find it on Sermon Audio Index. You might want to listen to it. In fact, let me do this. I had to look it up here right quick. This is a from the sermon Christless Pentecost by David Wilkerson. 
which I recommend everybody, every believer needs to hear that. I think that was, for me, that was his magnum opus uh, in terms of sermons. But he talked about his Christ becoming a stranger among us. And Dave Wilkerson says this, the following is a prophetic warning from Azusa Street 75 years ago concerning the dangers of a Christless Pentecost. Frank Bartleman was an eyewitness in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in 1907 at Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And he was been characterized as a reporter. Uh, and that was, well, it says nearly 75 years ago. It's been longer than that now. But here's the warning. He said, we may not hold a teaching or seek an experience except in Christ. Here it is. Your teaching and your experiences are in Christ. Many are willing to seek power in order to perform miracles and draw attention and adoration of the people to themselves, thus robbing Christ of his glory and making a fair showing in the flesh. The greatest need would seem to be for true followers of the meek and lowly Jesus. Religion's enthusiasts easily goes to seed. The human spirit to predominates the show-off, the religious spirit, and we must stick to our text, which is Christ. In other words, God gives his power, but people want to take the power and show off with it. And then here it is, saints. Any work that exalts the Holy Spirit or gifts above Jesus will finally end up in fanaticism. Whatever causes us to exalt Christ, exalt and love Jesus is well and safe. The reverse will ruin all. The Holy Ghost is a great light, but focused on Jesus, always for his revealing. Where the Holy Ghost is actually in control, Jesus is proclaimed the head. The Holy Ghost is executive. And this is what I'm talking about with Pentecostals. An overemphasis on the Holy Spirit, not understanding the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. They're, they all have their role. Yes, they're all God, but... There are various functions, and when we try to make one function in a way that's not supposed to be, then things get discombobulated, and before you know it, we're off track. And so some churches talk about, you know, people, oh, why, aren't there here? why isn't there healing and miracles in the church? Why isn't there this, that, and the other? We're going to talk about that a little later on as to why there isn't so-called these miracles. They are here, but they're not. They're not out where you can see them in plain sight. God is at work, but he's working in plain sight, and people who don't have eyes to see it won't catch it. But what we mean by that is I want power to work miracles so I can call attention to myself. People can see me get people out of a wheelchair. And that's one of the reasons why God won't give that power, because we're going to take it and show off with it. And it's going to turn. It's going to all become about me. And I'll get to be the great healing, whatever. And some of us are so corrupt We'll be so corrupted by it, we'll start charging people money for it. And not simply just healing people. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's what God wants us to do. Forget the silver and gold. But not understanding the personal work of the Holy Spirit. Now, two things have to happen. So here's the remedy. Here's the remedy. We need a reformation in the church. We need a serious reformation. What is a reformation? A reformation is, to re is a return to truth. 
I return to the great truths that we have forsaken. We've walked away from them. And a return to truth. And getting back to the basics. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Understanding what the gospel is. Uh, most people can't distinguish, distinguish between law and gospel. They don't understand that what the gospel is actually all about. Which I'm not going to answer that question here. I'll do that in another, uh, another time. But we need to return to truth. That is the central teaching uh, about the person of, of Jesus Christ. And keeping Christ at the center of everything. And then once the Reformation comes, then we will have revival. Revival is return to life. Reformation, return to truth. Revival, return to life. And uh, returning, a return to uh, being Holy Spirit driven living. A life that's lived under the power of the Holy Spirit. And where there is the fruit of the Spirit in the church. That's where we, that's the remedies to this mess that we're in right now. Secondly, once we have that reformation and that revival of Holy Ghost living, then yes, we're going to begin to walk in the miraculous. And I'm going to qualify that because a lot of the stuff, these healings that are going on out here, that's not it. These so-called healings. I'm talking the genuine article. I know for a fact because... I, uh, my spouse was healed from uh, multiple sclerosis as well as Guillain-Barre. So I know about divine healing. I've seen it. I've seen people get healed from uh, all kinds of ailments. But it's not on television. It's subtle. It's, it's the husband praying for the wife in the hospital. It's, it's, it's the, that small church praying for uh, healing for that sick individual in the hospital. They're not on TV. They're not well-known, not publicized. If these guys are doing, doing it on the level that they're saying on television, here's my challenge to them and anybody else that says you have the gift of healing. Go and empty the hospital. Just empty the hospital. Just, just take one hospital and empty it. If, in fact, we have that power on the level that we think we have that kind of power. That's my challenge. You can write me at rhyd1 gmail.com. I would love to receive that, that information and know where this hospital was that was emptied. Because I'm certain the media will be right there. Wow, COVID-19. The hospitals are overwhelmed. This guy just walks in there and starts praying for people. Next thing you know, everybody's healed and they're coming out of the hospital. Hospitals now empty. We've got empty hospital beds. Cleared it out. Jesus could do that. Well, anyway. And if called upon, we have to be ready to speak truth to power in some instances, such as John the Baptist. Sometimes we have to call the powerful people out on some of their own mess. So this is just a little overview and introduction into the Mars Hill Project. We will be talking in the next session about what is the gospel, what is the message God has given us to, to preach and to teach, 
And remember, God is only doing two things and only two things in the earth. That's conforming us to his son and world evangelization. Anything else is mission creep. Anything else is to take us away from that which God has called us to do. There was a song a long time ago with Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell called Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing. As a believer, I want the real thing. I want the truth. I don't want the fake. I believe in divine healing. I believe God can heal. I believe that God can perform miracles and still does. And you can't say God is sovereign and then say God can't do. God can do whatever he wants. But having said that, we want the genuine, we want the real article. Please, enough with the fakery and making things up and pretending that God did something. when well, we know in fact he did not do. Telling people to believe God for things and then next thing you know the person's belly up. Because you said, oh, don't take the treatment, don't. Don't listen to the doctors. Don't take your meds. You know, guys coming to threaten to threaten the wife, and I, I'm saying this because I've seen this happen. That's a, that's why I'm, I'm saying this. I've seen these things happen. Guy threatens the wife. I'm coming to kill you. Instead of her going to the police, she goes to the church. Church tells her, "Believe God. We're going to pray, and God's going to protect you." Well. God did not protect her. The guy showed up and murdered her. People say, "Don't take your meds. Don't take your. Don't take your diet. Don't take your 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 your, your, your insulin. God's gonna heal you." Well, they ended up putting the boy in the ground. I think the parents got charged with criminal negligence. And the evangelist who told them that lie walked away scot free with all their money. Kavat Epta, let the buyer beware. The Bible says, if there's any sick among you, here's the formula. Do not run down the street to no evangelist or whoever. You call for the elders of the church, people that you're in communion and community with, people that you know personally. You call for the elders of the church and the prayer of faith. If they're laying on of hands, if it's committed any sins, it shall be forgiven. Oh, wait, there's one of the parts of that formula. Confessing your faults one to another, then praying for one another that you can be healed. So there's the elders of the church. They're anointing you with oil, they're praying. Then there's a confession of fault in some cases, not in every case. And then praying for one another. There's just other people in the church just praying for each other. Just regular people. It's just, just regular people like you and me. Nobody special. You don't have to have a big name or title behind your name. That guy that has apostle or bishop behind his name does not necessarily have any more power than you do. Because it's all by faith. And so you don't have to run down the street or stop taking your meds. You know, when Jesus healed people, he would send them to the Pharisees for verification. If, you, if you're prayed for and God has healed you, 
You don't have to say anything. Just your next doctor visit, let them check you out. And the doctor will discover, hey, wait a minute, you're okay. Verification and documented, and so it's documented, time and date. Doctor said you had this, now the time and date you don't have this. So that you can verifiable uh, that in fact there was a miracle that took place. Not simply by word of mouth. Somebody said, you know, I, I used to hear this one preacher used to talk about a guy who was blind, and, but God gave him a sight through a glass eye. Well, God, can God do that? Sure, God can do whatever he wants. Did he do it? I don't know. I don't know. And, and the more chicanery and Charlotte, and Charlotte, charlatry that I see, you know, that's a word, makes me wonder. But there is the real, brothers and sisters. There is the real thing. There is the real thing. And we just have to make sure we keep it 100, we keep it real. Somebody is sick, you pray for them. You ask God to heal them. And you believe God for it until either God doesn't heal them or he heals them. But you hang in there and you don't stop taking your meds. You do, it's not a matter of one versus the other. Do both. Take your meds and pray for healing. And follow the doctor's instructions. Change your diet, do whatever you need to do. Because you don't know which way God is going to take you. But you're trusting God all the way through. And he will heal you. But never let somebody tell you, don't do this or don't do that. Because first of all, they're not medical doctors. They wouldn't, wouldn't have a clue anyway. And second of all, God, God is not talking to them. So when they tell you, God told me, God, no, they're lying. God is not telling them this stuff. So these are some of the things that turn people away from the gospel. So the gospel is already offensive. Don't add to it. Don't bring things into your orbit that will turn people away from Christ, that will turn people away from the things of God. The prosperity gospel, you know, when people find out, oh, you're a preacher, they, you know, where's your bling, where's your, where's your rings, where's your this, that, or the other? I have none of that. I have nothing fancy going on. Yes, I, I, I'm gainfully employed, and that's how I'm able to take care of myself. And so people will start to associate you with, the, with the, some of the negative things that they've seen already. And my prayer for God is that we get away from supporting these types of things that are actually unnecessarily hurting the gospel. Now, there's some parts of it that are just offensive and people are going to get mad no matter what you say or do. So that's in there too. But the things that are not necessary or called for, we need to get away from those things. So we'll be dealing with some more of this uh, areas. We're gonna lay out some things for you, what the Bible does say about healing. The truth about prophecy, which I, I did a whole series on that, how to determine whether something a prophecy is true or not. And the truth about all these so-called miraculous things that are going on in the church 
And it's not that God is not doing miraculous things, but a lot of fake things getting mixed in with it. And we got to learn how to discern. I think my sister, uh, Valley Lyson, talked about that discerning being the greatest thing in the church. People thus seem to lack discernment to, to separate fact from fiction, truth from false. And so it's very important that we remember um, and learn how to use this, how to discern. The way we discern is by keeping the main things the main things. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And that's what God has called us to do, the ministry of reconciliation, bringing the world back to him. And when needed, when needed, operative word here, when needed, when called for, God will back it up with signs and wonders following. But that's what I call divine prerogative. It is God's prerogative to determine, okay, I'll back this up with this right about now. But there's no thing stating that he actually has to. God can do whatever he wants. So thank you for listening. Stay strong. And this is just an appetizer. I just sat down and just some random thoughts that's been going through my head. So if I seem like I was rambling a bit, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what I was doing. But stay strong. Keep following Jesus. And I'm looking forward to sharing some more things in coming up on the Mars Hill Project about bringing Christ into our cultural context. And it's not... The answer is not what you think. I know what a lot of people are thinking. You know, it's going to... Well, anyway, I won't give it away. But the answer has been sitting here right in front of our face the whole time. But we've just been rejecting it because we don't... It's not the one we would like to actually hear. We'd like to hear something else. But God is no respecter of persons. Stay strong and keep the faith. God bless. Thank you for listening to this supplemental edition of The Sword and the Spirit. Praise God for everyone who listens. And that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, Father God, may all the listeners who listen to this be blessed and bring richness and goodness to their homes and bless their family and their children. In Jesus' blessed and glorious name, we pray. We call it done by faith. Amen and amen. Looking forward to talking to you some more. God bless.